Hi there to all my Facebook friends. Great to be with you today on this Tuesday afternoon. Bill Allen from downtown Tyler, Texas at the West Irwin Church of Christ. Glad to know that you are a part of this Bible study as we've been going through the armor of God in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20 on the Summer Tuesday Thursday Facebook studies. Uh, just a reminder, I share these live on my Facebook page uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 p.m. But then we also show them, uh, share them on our West Irwin Live Facebook page and our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page. Uh, and also after the sessions on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they get posted on our website, on our live stream page at westerwin.com. And that uh, you click over to the live streaming page and down the line on that page, uh, scroll down a bit and you come to the archives and that's where these uh, sessions will appear. As you know, I also have a Sunday afternoon Bible study uh, at 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons. And we've been going through the book of 1 John on Sunday afternoons. And so I hope that you're taking advantage of these. Uh, nice to see some folks tuning in. It's always great to have a few uh, uh, watching live. That's always nice. A few of you say hello, like my dear friends, uh, Cindy and Eric Mosley. Love seeing your names there. Always makes me smile. And so many others that have been so good about supporting uh, these sessions by just watching them. You don't pay at all for them and uh, just a little bit of time and thought and energy and so I'm glad to know that uh, we have some who watch either live or later and that's just great. Uh, my cousin Gail is here so Gail if it's okay with you we're going to go ahead and get started and um, the lesson today is on the sword of the spirit. I put a little teaser in uh, a few minutes ago about this lesson coming up and just said something about uh, today we're discussing what really is the only offensive uh, part of the armor of God. Offensive in the, said, in, the, in the sense that this is a weapon that is used uh, to attack someone rather than defensive armor such as a shield or a breastplate or a helmet that is used simply to protect the soldier themselves. Well, that weapon, that one offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit. And scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, that we are to take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Earlier, in fact, at the very beginning, in verse 14 of Ephesians 6, we were called upon to also take up the belt of truth and to wrap that around us. And, uh, and so it begins with truth and this weapon, uh, this part of the armor of God also involves truth because the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And so as we as we think about this, we're going to be uh, looking at this subject today and also next week. I can tell you that on Thursday this week, we won't have a lesson, I apologize for that, but uh, we'll be, uh, I'll be out of town on Thursday afternoon. And so we'll have to uh, uh, look at next week uh, after today, but I do want us to spend a little bit of extended time on this subject, uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we'll look at that this uh, today, and then we'll skip Thursday, and then we'll look at it again next week on Tuesday and Thursday. And along the line, I want to share with you some current statistics uh, from the American Bible Study and the Barna Research Group that talk about how the Bible is viewed 
and how much it is used in America today. And this is uh, based on 2020 and 2021 uh, statistics. So it's fairly new research. Uh, and I, I'll share a little bit more about that uh, in a few moments and also share more about it uh, next week. So let's talk about this sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, the sword of the Roman soldier was a little more than two feet long and was crafted from iron. Blacksmiths hardened the blade of the sword by covering the red hot iron with coal dust. The coal dust formed a hard carbon coating on the blade. Sword handles could be made from iron, ivory, bone, or wood. The Roman soldier carried his sword on his side so that he could easily draw his sword in a close-knit row of troops. In other words, they marched and fought pretty close together, and so you had to be able to have that sword accessible enough to where you could get it uh, while close to um, your fellow soldiers. In battle, rows of Roman soldiers pressed back their enemies one step at a time. This is hand-to-hand -hand combat, basically. And while they were doing that, they perhaps were jabbing with the sword, that offensive weapon that they used against their enemies. In Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, as I said, is the only offensive weapon named. So let's think about this sword of the Spirit, and I want to share a few scriptures today to kind of give some background for this. Scriptures you're very much aware of, but to remind us all of, and the first one is in Ephesians 4, because it fits so well with what Paul says here in Ephesians 6 as he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is a passage that you're probably already thinking of in Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So the writer of Hebrews in those verses in Hebrews 4 verses 12 and 13 really sees the, the sword of the spirit, uh, the word of God, almost like a scalpel rather than a sword sharper than any double-edged sword. Uh, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is powerful and it, it penetrates. It sinks deep in and it, it uh, is able to very surgically uh, separate those thoughts and attitudes like separating joint and marrow uh, from a skilled surgeon. That's what scripture talks about. And anyone who has read much of the Bible knows that the Bible is exactly like that. Uh, you read the inspired word of God, you read the scriptures, and you read it with an open mind enough to ask yourself, how does this apply to me? And you realize it really applies to me. Many times we might say it applies to me more than I wish it did. Um, and that's the power 
of the Word of God. That's the power and the penetrating ability of the sword of the Spirit. So let's talk for a minute about that sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and remind ourselves that the Word of God is the only inspired authority. I think this is very significant, and it gets back to, again, that belt of truth we spoke about a few weeks ago. Uh, even though our in the Gospel of John when he was interrogating Jesus, and Jesus told him, everyone who's on the side of the truth listens to me and hears my voice, and Pilate just says, what is truth? I, I've lost all understanding of what truth actually is. Many in our culture today say there is no absolute truth. In fact, what they do is instead, as we said before, they will say, what, what is your truth? How about your truth? You live by your truth, I'll live by my truth. And um, that's not the approach of Scripture. Scripture calls on people to live by the truth. When Jesus uh, spoke, he spoke in very specific terms. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't get to the Father by your truth. You get to the Father by the truth and the way, and the life, and that is strictly Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus says that um, those who follow my teaching, who do what the Word says, they are the ones who are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. That's John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus very clearly saying, look, you've got to read this Word, you've got to hear my words, and you've got to be willing to follow my teaching." then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. A lot of times we'll hear John 8 verse 32 quoted or used and we don't hear that verse that precedes it because the verse that precedes it could be perceived in our today's culture today as being judgmental. Surely Jesus didn't mean that we have to actually obey his teaching. Well, yeah, I think he did. There's nothing in scripture to indicate that he doesn't call us to live obedient lives based on what his teaching is based on what the Word of God is. Will we do that perfectly? No, and that's when the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sins, as we've said in 1 John 1, verse 7. But at the same time, that doesn't give us permission to not seek to understand that Word, to know that Word, and to live that Word, and even to share that Word. And so we're seeking to do that. Yes, we do that imperfectly, but that's still our goal. That is the path we're on. And I think every one of us, if we're really deeply honest with ourselves, can answer that question when we ask ourselves, am I really seeking to know and to follow the Word of God? Am I really, do I really want to do what Jesus says? Or am I flipping through the Bible and picking out his comments and his words and those scriptures that I like that will give me permission to live the way I want to live and I'm just kind of glossing over or even deleting those passages of Scripture that I don't like and condemn the decisions that I'm making. Well, I think if we're really... Well, a few Scriptures. First of all, 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. I, again, I know that you know these Scriptures, but I'm going to remind you of them anyway. 
2 Timothy 3, beginning at verse 14, Paul writes to Timothy. He's already reminded him that he heard the word of God from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, and now it dwells within Timothy also. And then Paul comes on the scene, and he takes what Timothy's grandmother and mother have, the foundation they've given him, teaching him what we would call the Old Testament scriptures. And then Paul comes along on the second mission journey in Acts 16, and and teaches his mother and him about the word of God through Jesus Christ, this new covenant, this uh, coming to faith in the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. And so now, here's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. As for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, his grandmother, his mother, and now the Apostle Paul himself and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, All Scripture is God-breathed, or some translations, inspired, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is only the Scripture the Bible that is God-breathed, that is inspired, and, and is effective for all of these things, uh, rebuking, training, correcting, equipping, all of those things that we need for our Christian life. With the Scripture, then the servant of God, the man of God, the woman of God, the teacher of God's people, they are equipped for every good work. Doesn't mean we don't consider other sources, it just means we consider them in light of the scripture. Even Bill's sermons are not inspired and authoritative. God's word is inspired and authoritative. So every book you read, okay. Every sermon you hear, okay. Uh, every uh, internet podcast you listen to, okay. But measure them against the word of God. Because the word of God is the only inspired authority that we live by. How important is that? Well, Paul goes on in 2 Timothy, now chapter 4, the very next passage beginning in verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, healthy teaching, used several times that term in First and Second Timothy and Titus. Second Timothy 4 verse 3, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. They'll look for teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They'll look for teachers who will tell them their truth. Rather than approaching the word of God and asking the question, what does God want? Jesus himself prayed in the garden, Father, not my will, but yours be done. We're called to pray that same prayer, uh, even in the Lord's prayer. Uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray. Well, how are we going to know what that is? 
only this right here. This is the only way we can know objectively what the Word of God is. And I understand we have to do our homework, we have to study, we have to consider, we have to think, we have to talk to others and try to get some of their in understanding and, and be able to come to a, an understanding of what this teaches and then seek to do it. And I realize that's a, that's a, that's a tall order and it's, it's sometimes can be difficult, but it doesn't mean that we're, we have permission to not do it. Uh, we are still called to read the Bible, to study the Bible, to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is not optional. That is the only weapon, pure offensive weapon, in the soldier's armor, that full armor of God, the panoply of God that Paul uh, speaks of in Ephesians chapter 6. That's how important this word is. Well, let's look at another passage of Scripture, and then we may refer to a couple of others. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, uh, the Apostle Peter, now no longer the Apostle Paul, as we just read from. Now this is the Apostle Peter, and he says much the same thing as, uh, as the Apostle Paul said. In Second Peter 1, uh, beginning at verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories, when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Second Peter 1 verse 16, Peter affirms that the stories that he has told about Jesus Christ were things that he actually saw. Uh, verse 17, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well Please, Peter was there uh, at that transfiguration. Peter was there when that voice from heaven said those things. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now, 2 Peter 1, verse 19. We also have the prophetic message as some, something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter affirms that the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, were given, those prophets spoke uh, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And in the context here, Peter is connecting his own messages with that same inspired scripture. Uh, not everything Peter said was inspired and authoritative, but what we have certainly was in First and Second Peter. What we have from Paul and those apostles, the writer of Hebrews, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the church did not decide that they were inspired, so they accepted them. The church looked for those scriptures and those uh, records that were already understood as inspired and authoritative and then put them together. Uh, that's how that came about. And this is the inspired and authoritative word of God. Uh, there's so many other passages of scripture that we could look at and that we'll remind ourselves of perhaps next week. Uh, but Jesus, when he comes in John chapter one, as, as John is recording 
the very beginning of the gospel, the, the time when John the Baptist is teaching and then Jesus himself, um, uh, John writes and says, he came revealing grace and truth, full of grace and truth. So many in our culture today just want to talk about the grace thing, and that is a wonderful message. I'm all about the love of God and, and the acceptance and forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. But Jesus didn't come just revealing grace. He came revealing grace and truth. John 1 says that he was full of grace and truth like no one else ever has been. Um, again, that truth we will know and will make us free is based on the word of God, the teachings of Christ. Jesus prayed in John 17 that the Father would sanctify us through God. That is the truth, not your truth, not my truth, but the truth. We will come to our own interpretations and understanding. Absolutely. Uh, that is true. And so we try to decide what that word of God says and means and apply it to our lives. Uh, but just the fact that uh, our interpretations are not inspired, just the fact that uh, we may have honest disagreements about uh, scriptures doesn't change the fact that we're supposed to do our study on our own, just like the Bereans did in that during that second mission journey of Paul in Acts 17, the Thessalonians, the people of Thessalonica in modern day Greece ran him out of town rather than accept the message. But in nearby Berea, they were commended because they searched the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was so and was true. And that's what we're called message of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Um, and uh, one more scripture passage today, and that's in Second Peter chapter 3. As Peter ends his communication, he says this in verses 17 and 18 of Second Peter 3, very similar to the passage in 2 Timothy 3 we read earlier. 2 Timothy 3, 17 and 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. At the end of 2 Timothy 3 and the beginning of 2 Timothy 4, as we read, Paul tells the young minister, Timothy, you need to stay close to the inspired and authoritative word of God because people are going to come around you just wanting you to say what their itching ears want to hear. And in the same way, Peter warns against the lawless, those people who will not hold to the pure teaching of God's word. And he says, instead of giving in to them, and instead of giving in to that teaching, verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, don't, not just grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to do that, but rather to grow in the grace and knowledge. So many times it seems like we're one or the other where we're all grace and love and acceptance and mercy. And I think those are things are wonderful. 
and yet we don't really care what scripture says and so there's 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 nothing that is actually condemned <laughs> your truth is your truth and it's fine with god well that's nowhere in the bible but rather it says grow in the grace and knowledge and in the same way we don't just grow in knowledge uh, too many of us have been hurt by those uh, perhaps well-meaning we'll give them the benefit of the doubt well-meaning people who will take the bible and learn it and study it and then be very ungracious and unloving in how they share it that great verse in ephesians 4 verse 15 tells us we are to be speaking the truth in love and and there's not a single part of that sentence that's optional we are to speak and it is the truth that we're to speak and we're to speak it in love when we take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of god what we are doing is exactly what peter commands here to grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ i want to share a few statistics current statistics on the bible and and the state of the bible as the american bible society calls this uh study and um and working at times with the barna research group which uh, is a great resource group for research of uh current american uh, thought concerning uh the bible and religion well here's a few statistics uh how many would you say what percentage of americans do you think believe that in some way or another the bible is the inspired word of god what do you think well the answer of the research is 71 percent 71 percent of americans say that the bible in some way or another is the inspired word of god now some will think that that means that every single word is to be taken literally others will say well some literal and some symbolic uh, but there are 71% of Americans who say that the Bible is the inspired word of God. 55% uh, are those who do say the Bible has no errors. It is inspired, and it may not need to be taken literally in every context. And I agree, let the context uh, determine that. Uh, when Jesus says, uh, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, I don't think he's meaning that literally but it is inspired scripture and it does give us a very uh, a very uh, serious warning well 55 percent of adults say the bible has no errors that it is to be uh, understood as the word of god uh, and uh, 34 percent read the bible at least once a week a third of americans read their bible once a week uh, 25% read it several times a week, at least several times a week, either three or four times a week or um, every single day. Uh, and 14, uh, uh, actually 11% actually do read their Bible every single day. It's interesting that 16% uh, of Americans read the Bible uh, a majority of the days of the week, four to seven days a week. 16% you say, well, Bill, that doesn't sound like very many. Well, in 2020, it was 12%. And so that, that statistic has actually gone up. And there are other encouraging signs as well. 54% of people today say we would be worse off without the Bible. Only 40% said that in 2020. 33% um, say we would be about the same, and 14% say we would actually be better off 
uh, without the Bible. So uh, 70, uh, let's see, 87% say we would either be about the same or better off, or uh, uh, that we're about the same or better off with the Bible than without it. And I think, again, that that is um, significant. Uh, there are other uh, statistics that I'll share with you next week, but I hope this gives you a little bit of encouragement about our country. Not everyone has given up on the Bible. Not everyone has given up on Christianity. Yes, there are a lot of issues that we need to be very much aware of and working on. And as Christians and as the church, uh, those things should give us great pause, and we should be very serious about it. My question is, the country, but let's talk about the church. How many people are actually reading their Bible at least several times a week on their own, not counting church times, and hopefully every single day having some interaction with the Word of God. If we really believe the Bible is the inspired and authoritative Word of God, we should read it, and we should try to apply it in our lives. Um, and so take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're going to say more about this next week. Again, no Facebook study from Bill this coming Thursday afternoon. You get the day off. But we will get back to this topic, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, next week on Tuesday and Thursday. And I will share with you today, and I'll share again next week, a question that I get asked often, and that is, Bill, what's the best version of the Bible? Well, I, I use a couple of versions in my study, usually when I'm preaching or teaching. I use the NIV because I think it's a reliable translation and very readable and understandable to people today. Uh, and I compare it with the English Standard Version, which like the older New American Standard Version, uh, is uh, a much more literal translation, but still a reliable translation. I believe both of those are the ESV and the New International Version, the NIV. But when it comes down to the best version, my favorite answer is this one. And those of you that know me know what I'm going to say. If you ask me what is the best version uh, of the Bible, I will say this. It is the one that you will read. It is the one that you'll read. King James Version from 1611. Okay, the language has changed a lot. And the manuscript evidence and other evidence has, has improved in the last 400 plus years. But at the same time, if that one you'll read and consider and try to apply to your life, great. If it's the NIV, great. I only ask that you make it a reliable translation. The message is a wonderful tool to help us understand the scripture, but the message by Eugene Peterson is not a translation. It is a paraphrase, uh, much like the Living Bible was. It was very popular years ago, and now the New Living Bible. Uh, you want to compare those. Those are useful tools, but you want to compare them with an inspired, with a an actual reliable translation. And so there's a lot of them out there that are very good. None of them is perfect. None of them is perfect. They all have their pluses and minuses. And that's why it's important to maybe compare translations. I think that's a good idea. That's what I do. Um, but the most valuable version of Scripture for you is the one that you will read. As you can see, from these recent uh, research studies, Americans have not given up on the Bible, not by any means, not by any stretch. And so we need to take advantage of that and make sure that we are first of all studying and then living and then sharing the Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
Uh, I will be around on Sunday afternoon for our study in 1 John, and one week from today, we'll get back to the study of the armor of God from Ephesians 6. May God bless you.